What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to another edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Shaper here with you in the evening hours of Sunday, April 2nd, 2023. As tonight, we're set to discuss a couple of Cardinals wins as it's been a couple few days since we last spoke. We had an episode on Friday, but the Cardinals didn't have a game that day to break down. And they played Saturday, they played Sunday, winners on both days over the Toronto Blue Jays. And so we will get into the nitty gritty on both of those games as the Cardinals on Saturday got the 4-1 to win in the Jack Flaherty start. Wow, do we have a lot to talk to, uh, about from that game as Flaherty had a very unique stat line. He said so himself after the game. Not many times you'll see what Jack Flaherty put together on Saturday, but that, that is indeed what we saw. And so we'll talk about how the Cardinals were able to win that game thanks to Flaherty, despite Flaherty. I don't know, maybe something in between. And definitely some timely hitting. That was the one game of this series that did not see a lot of scoring. And the Cardinals, despite that, were able to find the one little moment, I thought, that uh, the star of the weekend, you could say, or one of the stars of the weekend for the Cardinals, was able to come through in that spot. I'm talking about Nolan Gorman. And he followed up his uh, little base hit that he had in Saturday's game that turned out to be pretty pivotal. And he followed that up on Sunday with a huge day, which culminated a huge weekend for Nolan Gorman. So we want to talk tonight about Nolan Gorman and the start to the season that he's had that really was something that began for Gorman. You could go all the way back to the winter after the Cardinals said, hey, work on these things and then come back and become a different player. And turns out Gorman took that to heart. He had a really good winter of work, came into spring training ready to go, put together a nice spring, and now he's parlayed that into a very good start to the season. We'll talk about Nolan Gorman. We'll talk about the offense in general because I think after the first series of the season, there's a lot to be impressed by when it comes to the St. Louis Cardinals and the bats and the at-bats that they are putting together as a team. Sunday's game in particular, as the Cardinals beat the Blue Jays 9-4, to had a really interesting offensive profile, I feel like, as a team. Uh, first of all, it was the second game of the season. They've only played three. But it was the second game in which all nine starters for the St. Louis Cardinals got at least one hit. And so we've spoken a lot about the depth of this lineup, and we had that as sort of a narrative coming out of spring training. Maybe it's more than just a, a spring training narrative at this point as the Cardinals really do appear one through nine to have a pretty uh, solid group that they've been able to put together. So we'll talk about the Cardinals offense. We'll get into uh, the details on some of these games and uh, then we'll get out of here so I can go to bed. Appreciate you guys for listening. As always, if you're watching on YouTube, welcome in. Hit the button. I think it's a subscribe button on YouTube. Like the video, review, rate, all the good stuff you can do. But let's get subscribed on YouTube, right, so that we can continue to make good videos and uh, expand our audience over there as well. If you're not on YouTube, if you're just listening, glad to have you along for the ride as well. Go ahead and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Follow on Spotify, rate and review over there. And hey, if you're so inclined to support the show because you like what we're doing and you can see that it's going to be a big year for the Cardinals and you're going to want to follow all the content going on with the Cardinals, patreon.com slash bshafer12 is the way that you can support the show. Um, there's a, a patron tier for 5 bucks a month. I'll put some good stuff on there, but if you like the podcast, that's your way to be able to say, hey, I appreciate you, 
and uh, I'm going to subscribe on Patreon. And by the way, the YouTube is youtube.com slash at bshafer12. Now that I've gotten all the boilerplate stuff out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into Saturday's game. We'll start there because Jack Flaherty, uh, what in the world did we just see? If you saw Jack Flaherty on Twitter Saturday morning before his start, he had put out the hype video, right? It had Heath Ledger's Joker uh, interspersed with some Jack Flaherty highlight clips from him pitching in past years. And, you know, at the beginning of the video, you maybe had some MLB Network. I heard some uh, some Jim Hayes on there talking about Jack Flaherty being a pivotal piece for the Cardinals. Some of the commentary was maybe a little questioning the, the role that Flaherty could fill for St. Louis, whether or not he was up to the task. Flaherty, I mean, this is very par for the course for what Jack Flaherty is. Uh, you, you never really have to question what you're going to get when it comes to Jack Flaherty. And in this case, he's putting the emotions on his sleeve. He's putting kind of his feelings out there in, in the form of a hype video. I thought it was great. I thought it was entertaining uh, to have Jack Flaherty at 8.30 in the morning on the day of his first start of the season put himself out there in that way. I thought it was I thought it was cool. Uh, and then you could say you want to see him back that up on the field for sure. Well, is that what happened? Here's the thing. Jack Flaherty throws five innings, does not give up a single hit. Uh, however, eight base runners, seven walks and a hit batter over the course of five scoreless, hitless innings for Jack Flaherty. If there has ever been a game by a baseball pitcher that was emblematic of Heath Ledger's Joker, the chaos involved in that character, I think Jack Flaherty hit the nail on the head in Saturday's game. It was chaotic to have the start that he did, a couple of outs on, I don't know, it was like five or six pitches. He was rolling along. And then suddenly, three walks in a row. Cardinals pitching coach Dusty Blake was ready to head out of the dugout. And Jack Flaherty stored a, he headed him off and said, I got this. Jack said after the game, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know why I wasn't able to, to hit my spots and, and find my command of my fastball. But I knew that I was going to get out of it. I knew that I wasn't allowing the game to speed up on me. That's what Jack Flaherty said. At times in his past, Jack Flaherty has sort of allowed the emotions maybe to get the better of him in the middle of a start that's not going his way. And he said Saturday, and I thought this was great, he talked about the fact that there's no benefit that can come from having an outing where you allow your emotions to get the better of you and you allow the game to speed up on you. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help your team. It's not going to help your teammates be able to execute their jobs. And so Jack Flaherty, I think, showed a lot of emotional maturity in that moment to say, Hey, things aren't going my way. I can't really figure out what's going on. He talked about just maybe overcooking a pitch or two here and there. It wasn't as though he was getting behind 3-0 and in that first inning. I think it was Matt Chapman that he said specifically, I've, I've got two strikes on him. I can put this guy away. And then you're just putting a little maybe too much juice on a pitch. He was missing away, I thought, to right-handed batters quite often there in the early going of this game where, uh, at least from the press box view, man, it looked like that pitch was about to dart right on the outside corner, and then it would just go barely outside by a couple of inches. I think there were a couple of pitches for which Jack Flaherty was maybe kind of being squeezed by the umpire, uh, but when you're missing location, right, you're not always going to get rewarded by the umpire. And so he sort of had to find his way through that. Second inning was a similar deal. I think that was the inning where he had a, a walk and a hit batter. Third inning, a couple of walks. He had a ton of base runners that he had to navigate around, but each and every time he was able to do that. And by the time he got into the fourth and fifth inning, the fifth in particular, but in the fourth, he, I think, walked one batter, 
was able to, to work around that, and in the fifth inning pitched a very clean frame. And by the end of it, it was like, okay, Jack Flaherty has sort of found his stuff. The problem was by then the pitch count had gotten pretty high for Jack Flaherty. And so there really was nothing he could do, right? He wasn't going to get to extend in that game very much beyond that. And so I thought Jack Flaherty in the postgame was very, I mean, he was pretty affable about it, pretty gregarious, honestly, in terms of the way that he was approaching things. He knows that he had improvements that needed to be made, and he's going to work to make them in the next outing. But at the end of the day, when you throw five innings and you don't give up a hit, you know you were doing some things right on the mound. So I think it was a start for Flaherty that Cardinals fans, honestly, as crazy as it sounds, I think they can be kind of encouraged by the outing for Jack because there were things that he did that, you know, you'd like to see done better uh, for sure. You'd like to see the command be more consistent for him. But at the end of the day, for him to be able to go out and not allow any hits, not allow any runs, gets the win because the Cardinals were able to score some runs there. I think it was in the third inning, and we could talk about that as well. But ultimately, I think it's a positive takeaway because how many times in the last couple of years have we looked at Jack Flaherty outings and said, hey, as long as he's healthy, you're you're going to take that, right? And so this is the first start of the season. I think he came away from it healthy. I think it's a situation where for Jack Flaherty, you just want to make sure that he is in a spot where he can confidently move forward with the physical aspect of everything that's going on for him, right? And although Jack Flaherty had maybe a diminished velocity that we saw at times in his start on Saturday, it was not anything that the Cardinals are concerned about. Jack Flaherty not concerned about it. Ali Marmel not concerned about it. And here's why. It was intentional to try and find a little bit extra command as that outing went along. I think he sort of downshifted a gear to say, hey, right now, my stuff is moving maybe more than I am able to command it with. I think at the velocity he was on that day, and, and this is going to happen as a pitcher, it for Jack Flaherty, he was just overcooking the pitches. The movement was tailing off the plate, and he said he missed arm side as well. So really, to both sides, if he was trying to hit in, he was missing off the plate. If he was trying to, to pitch a guy away, corner he was missing off the plate at the velocity that he had been kind of operating at in the early going he downshifted a little bit in the the middle to later innings of his outing and was able to find a little bit more success that way and so sometimes you the velocity can be more of a of an indicator that matters and sometimes it could be one that's kind of a red herring in this case if you're looking at Jack Flaherty's velocity and going it's not you know this isn't Jack Flaherty which a lot of us in the press box were doing at the time we're thinking, why, you know, what's going on? Is there an injury concern here? It turns out you can talk to the guy after the fact, and no, that was a little bit intentional, that he was trying to take a little bit of something off of his pitches in order to find a little bit more command and establish the strike zone a little better than he had been in the early going. And so I think that worked out for him. So for Flaherty, we'll see what his next outing looks like. But I would say, honestly, uh, you, you take you take that with a grain of salt and say just glad you get the win. And uh, I think he'll be able to come out and look a little sharper in the next one. Know that he's got that first one underneath him, right? Jack Flaherty's a guy that, you know, wears his emotions on his sleeves at times. But with that, you know that he was up for this first game, that first start of the year, to be able to just kind of put that one behind him, I think is maybe going to be to the benefit of Jack Flaherty moving forward into the rest of the season. So let's talk about the fact that the Cardinals won this game, right? How did they do it? Not by great offense. 
They had 41 hits in this series and 22 runs scored. However, in that second game, it wasn't the offense that was able to get things done. They scored four runs. It was a 4-1 to victory. But for the most part, it was kind of a grind against Kevin Gossman in that game. What the Cardinals were able to do is take advantage of really the one opportunity that they had. In that third inning, I think it was the third inning, you had the ball hit, I think it was Arenado, and Matt Chapman wasn't able to get it handled at the end of the day. First of all, he mishandles the the ball itself and then kind of rushes the throw with Arenado running, sails up the line on Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and now the Cardinals have more life in this inning. That was when Nolan Gorman came through with not his most emphatic swing of the weekend. Gorman goes four for nine on the weekend and draws four walks. Uh, great weekend by Nolan Gorman. We'll talk a little bit more about him when we get into uh, Sunday's game. But what Nolan Gorman did in that spot was he cue balls one down the third baseline and it scores a couple of insurance runs for the Cardinals, which they would end up needing because they'd give up one run late in the game. And that was it. I mean, they get that 3 nothing lead, and they sort of were able to sit on that from there. Not a lot of offensive action on either side in the rest of that game. Really important to be able to take advantage of your opportunities, not only on the days where everything is clicking like it did on Sunday, but on the days where offensively it can be a little bit of a grind and a little bit of a struggle. Is that not so emblematic of the type of game that last year it felt like the Cardinals would end up scoring zero or one run and they would lose it late in sort of a pitching duel style? Because how many times on the days where the offense felt like it was a zero or one or two run kind of day, they ended up scoring zero, one, or two runs. In this case, it was that exact type of day, but the Cardinals scored four runs. And they were able to do that by taking advantage of an opportunity that was probably unexpected for Matt Chapman, uh, who's a really good defender, to make basically what could have been qualified as two errors on one play. I think he only got credited with one error. But to bobble the ball at first, you could have considered an error, and then the throw over was definitely an error, missing Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and allowing the inning to be extended to Gorman. So the Cardinals take advantage of that spot, first of all, getting the run on the Arenado play, and then Gorman coming through the way that he did, adding two more. That's 3-0, three uh, I believe it was at that point, and the Cardinals end up winning the game by a score of 4-1. to one. So... Really impressive stuff, honestly. And even in that game where we said, well, the offense wasn't really uh, so great. Everybody in the lineup got a hit except for Burleson in that game. And so the other two games, everybody who started the game got a hit. And in game two, there was only one spot in the order that was unable to come with a base hit. Cardinals still had 10 hits in the game. Uh, just a really impressive effort. The bullpen did a nice job as well. Uh Verhagen came in, and I'm telling you, if you've been listening to B-Shape Daily, you know this. I'm high on Drew Verhagen. I think he's going to have a really good season and be a pretty important part of what the Cardinals are looking to do. He came in on Saturday, had an inning, clean, no runs allowed, no hits allowed, uh, no walks, had two strikeouts. Really good hold for him. Palante had the seventh, one hit, no runs allowed. And then the eighth inning came about, and that was the same exact inning that on Thursday Jordan Hicks had his struggles. Ollie Marmel at the time said, I kind of pushed back on the notion that Jordan Hicks had bad command to where uh, he wouldn't have been able to get away with it. Uh, he thought that the command wasn't a huge issue. His quote was, he threw enough strikes to be fine today, but had the soft contact. I think he gave up three infield hits, and it was kind of a rough story because of that on Thursday. On Saturday, it was all Jordan Hicks. Uh, it was not a pretty outing by him. He did get one out. 
but allowed three walks in the inning and one of those guys coming around to score on a Jordan Hicks wild pitch. That was not his game. The Cardinals were bailed out in this one by Ryan Helsley. Coming in, one out in the eighth, he's able to get that done. And Ollie Marble said, and, and he reiterated this on Sunday morning, that if Hicks has to throw, you know, 12 to 15 pitches even in that eighth inning, he probably does not come back out to pitch the ninth. That's going to be a ninth inning for Zach Thompson. It's going to be a Chris Stratton. It's going to be somebody else pitching the ninth inning because Gallegos still unavailable as he was Sunday dealing with the back issue. And you, you, you didn't have really any other options at that point. You'd already used Hicks, Verhagen, Palante. And if Helsley wasn't able to have a very, very efficient finish to that eighth inning on Saturday, it was going to be a spot where he said, listen, the game is on the line right now. After Jordan Hicks walked three guys, gave up the run via wild pitch, they had to figure out a way right then and there to get out of the eighth. Ryan Helsley was their best chance to do that. He did, and he did so efficiently enough that Ali Marmel trusted him to go back out for the ninth inning. That's what ends up happening, and from there, Helsley was able to you know slam the door on a very important game, too, so that the Cardinals don't get themselves into a spot where this early in the season, they're down in a hole, 0-2, still trying to get the monkey off their back for the first win. No, they were able to get it done. Ryan Helsley goes an inning and two-thirds, gives up a couple of hits, but scatters them two strikeouts, and the Cardinals get the win. Helsley with his first save of 2023. So even though it wasn't a, a day where the offense was clicking on all cylinders, the Cardinals were able to do just enough offensively, and the bullpen was able to come through. Helsley bails out Hicks a little bit. The Cardinals are going to need Jordan Hicks to figure things out a little bit. But for right now, the command has just not been there for him. Obviously, had the pitch that injured Contreras on Thursday. Contreras, by the way, did come back into play on Sunday, and he's going to be just fine. Uh, but he he had some command issues on Thursday. I, I know that Ollie said that he didn't really feel that way about it. it I feel like it was, you know, just a, a... It's not like he's throwing every pitch wild, but there was a wild pitch. There were some walks in that inning on Thursday. And just the notion that I don't think he's hitting his spots every time. Uh, granted, you're not going to barrel Jordan Hicks up very often. He throws 105. His stuff is completely nasty. That's why they didn't hit the ball out of the infield against him. But if you're doing the job for the opposition by allowing too many of them to reach base via walk, that's where you can run into trouble. And that's exactly what happened, right? On, on Saturday, he didn't allow any big hits on Saturday either. But he walks three guys and then allows one of them to score via wild pitch. So he's that, that self-inflicted damage at that point. The Cardinals are going to need more from Jordan Hicks. And if they don't get it really in short order, I think you could see guys like Palante and especially guys like Drew Verhagen begin to sort of ascend the uh, the, the pecking order, the hierarchy, to where Verhagen ends up being a, a right-handed reliever that the Cardinals rely upon in some more serious territory, like a seventh, eighth, uh, not necessarily a ninth. But later in games that are close and the Cardinals have a small lead, those kind of leverage situations, you could start to see Verhagen in. I wouldn't be surprised. Again, I've been telling you all since spring training, it's going to be a season for Drew Verhagen. I know we all wrote him off last year. Don't. Through a couple of games, I think that's holding up right now. He's doing a very nice job, and he is going to enter that circle of trust sooner than you think, especially if they can't figure out what's going on with Gallegos. Like, they're reaching the point with Gallegos where they're going to have to put him on the IL if he's not ready to pitch Monday or Tuesday, right? You can always backdate that, but I think you only get to backdate it three days' worth. And so the longer you wait, you're just basically going a man down. And luckily for the Cardinals, they have a little bit more breathing room after the job that they got out of their relievers who did pitch on Sunday. 
that saved them heading into this Atlanta Braves series. And here's what happened Sunday. Cardinals win it 9-4. to Jordan Montgomery was the starter. Kind of inefficient in the same way that Flaherty was on Saturday. And in Montgomery's case, he allows three runs in the first inning. Luckily, he still left that first inning with a lead because the Cardinals had a barrage in the opening frame of this game. Brendan Donovan, been telling you, if he adds power to his game, look out. Well, it looks to have been something that's happened, and it is sustainable moving forward the way we are seeing Brendan Donovan time after time, whether it's for a home run or a double or an out that's a fly out to right. It doesn't matter what it is. He is hitting the ball hard pretty much every time he makes contact. Brendan Donovan is going to have himself a hell of a season if this continues, and we really don't have any reason to believe that it will not continue for him. Uh, he has made those adjustments and has been able to wallop some baseballs over the first weekend. Home run, first pitch of the game. Usually he's a guy that kind of works the count a little bit more. Brendan Donovan hits the home run on the first pitch that he sees on Sunday from, uh, who was it, Chris Bassett. Goes yard. Cardinals lead one nothing. Alec Burleson batting in the two-hole for the second day in a row. Ollie Marmel. This is another Ollie Marmel guy. He has beat the drum for Alec Burleson. His numbers in spring were kind of, you know, mediocre at the beginning, but he came on strong toward the end. I think had an OPS around 750. And anybody who will listen, Ollie Marmel has told over the last few weeks, Alec Burleson is going to be an important part of what we do this season. Well, he has backed that up, put his money where his mouth is, and put Burleson right into the number two spot in the lineup the last couple of days with Lars Newpar being injured. He jammed the thumb, the left thumb for Newtbar. Uh, he should be ready by Monday is all indications. Not going to be an IL sort of thing, we don't think, but jammed his thumb. And in the clubhouse on Saturday night, Lars Newpar was was getting asked about that by some reporters, and uh, somebody brought up the notion of an oven mitt. I know Nolan Gorman wears the oven mitt, you know, the big bulky glove uh, that kind of looks like a big mitten, an oven mitt, so to speak, when he's running the bases. It's so that when you dive headfirst into a base, you don't jam your hand or break your fingers or break your thumb or anything like that. Lars Newtbar, I think, may be a, a believer in the oven mitt moving forward. We'll see. He did say, yeah, I'll definitely be having one of those moving forward. I don't know if that was in a joking context or if he was serious, but it would make all the sense in the world to do it. And if you don't, maybe just no more headfirst slides. Like Jordan Walker had a headfirst slide into second base earlier in the weekend, and he was safe. I think it was on his stolen base, in fact. And you're thinking... Man, didn't that guy hurt his shoulder in spring doing that same thing? Lars hurts the thumb. I just would go feet first. There are going to be moments in the season where I think you have to. In the playoffs, it might be an all-bets-or-off sort of thing where if you can get the bag, you got to get the bag. But more times than not, it's going to be safer to slide head, uh, feet first, I should say. So we'll see if the Cardinals make any adjustments on that front. And just wear the oven mitt. I, I know that, guys, it's one of those things where you, like, you don't think you need it until it happens to you and then you use it thereafter. Maybe we should be pre proactive about it. And we talk on, on the big show on KTGR to Will Carroll, the injury expert. This is a topic during baseball season that almost comes up every other week because star players will slide head first and they will injure themselves in one way or another. And so maybe that's something that you should look into. Uh, we'll see if Lars Newpar ends up doing that. But Newpar should be back by Monday, if not for sure, by Tuesday. Otherwise, some things are going kind of wonky. But the Cardinals in that first inning. Donovan homers, Burleson homers. Three pitches into the game, the Cardinals are up 2-0. And then you get later in the inning, Nolan Gorman. Wow, was that ever a majestic blast by Gorman. 446 feet into the, I mean, deep into the bleachers in right center field as the Cardinals now have a 4-0 lead in the first inning. 
yeah, that was pretty good. That's kind of indicative of what this offense is capable of doing. And Nolan Gorman added another home run in the third inning. Four home runs on the day for the Cardinals. All four of the home runs were hit by guys who 12 months ago, they were in AAA Memphis. All three of them, talking Donovan, Burleson, and Gorman, began the 2022 season in AAA. All of them got their cups of coffee or their various playing time in the big leagues later on in the season, but all of them were in, in Memphis to begin last year. And so you've got a lineup now with guys who can do what they did today on Sunday with four home runs combined between the three of them. You also have the reigning MVP. You also have the guy who finished third in the MVP vote last season. You also have Tommy Edmond, who was a six wins above replacement player a year ago, and he's batting ninth for you. Oh, yeah, you have the potential rookie of the year in Jordan Walker, uh, who continued to look good. He's still hitting the ball hard, doing his thing, batting low down in the order. Yeah, Dylan Carlson come through offensively and have a nice day on Sunday. He was in the lineup for Tyler O'Neill, who came in later in the game. I mean, up and down this lineup, the Cardinals are dangerous. I, I think that's just the bottom line. Burleson's batting second, and before the game, we're going, I don't know, Ollie, are you sure about Alec Burleson? I mean, I know you're into the guy, but he's batting second. You've got... You've got some some big names later on in your lineup that are batting a little bit lower. Uh, you know, Nolan Gorman's had a really nice start. You get a bat. Alec Burleson goes three for four, man. He hits a home run. The opposite field. Alec Burleson's going to be a flat-out hitter for the Cardinals this year. And you look at the number of names that I'm saying that about. Like, I've already declared Nolan Gorman is going to be an all-star. I said that in my bold predictions when I tweeted it out on opening day of, we, we you know, we did the uh, the rookie of the year, the reliever of the year the uh, Cy Young, the Gibby for the team, and the MVP of the Cardinals. Everybody did that on opening day. Added a bold prediction that Gorman would make the All-Star team. I think Brendan Donovan is going to make the All-Star team as well. And then you probably have those two fellows at the corners, Arnato Goldschmidt. They'll probably get voted in. If not, there'll be selections by the players or the managers or whatever. I think the Cardinals have four All-Stars, more likely than not, all infielders, one of them being a DH, typically in, in, the, in the case of Nolan Gorman. That's a lot of talent, and that's not even talking about the talent that they have in the outfield. Uh, guys that, that are capable. And so up and down, one through nine in the lineup, I don't think there could be any better uh, weekend to be emblematic of the kind of team the Cardinals have a chance to be offensively here this season. 41 hits, 22 runs scored, two out of three wins over the Blue Jays, and they lose the first game 10-9 to nine, uh, because they didn't get a great outing from Michaelis. The bullpen ends up coughing it up. Multiple times, the offense found a way to get back into that game and give the Cardinals a lead. The bullpen just wouldn't let it happen on Thursday. But I'm saying after a weekend against Toronto, you go two out of three, that's a team that's going to be in the playoffs. Like the Blue Jays, I think, are definitely as good as they were a year ago. They have a very loaded lineup. It's a very good team on the other side, and the Cardinals were able to take two out of three from them this weekend. Uh, Montgomery's outing, yeah, you maybe not so crazy about it, but he gets through five innings, was able to kind of like Flaherty did, Come, come along a little better as the outing went along, but it's just too many pitches. Uh, these guys are straining to get through five innings right now. We knew, though, coming into the season, what was going to be the strength of the Cardinals? The offense, you're hopeful that the bullpen can end up getting the job done the way that you need to see, and uh, you kind of go from there. But the starting pitching is is the thing that could end up being the question a little bit. But through the first series, you have Michaelis not have a good outing, but then you have the other starters at least get through five innings. Both of them earn the win because the offense was able to carry things. I will say it again because I've said it before. I think the Cardinals have a chance, like their ceiling as an offense this season would be to lead the National League in runs scored. They could lead Major League Baseball in runs scored, and it would not surprise me 
if the the guys that are again we talked about median expectation i keep using that phrase okay brendan donovan's median expectation is a lot lower than what he's done so far and i would say the same thing for nolan gorman who's got an on-base percentage of 667 and has six rbis and two home runs after three games and that's your number six batter brendan donovan's your leadoff batter at least of what we've seen so far and we talked about Lars Newbar, you know, being a potential breakout candidate. He's hardly played, right? He played Thursday and hasn't played since because of the thumb injury. So up and down the lineup, the Cardinals have the type of depth that I think can be really dangerous and allow them to maybe overcome some of the weaknesses in the pitching staff. But then imagine that certain guys are able to take steps forward, right? We haven't seen Jake Woodford yet. We haven't seen Steven Matz yet and what he might be able to do for this team. He could end up being their best starter. That was my prediction before the season is that he would be their Gibby, the the, the best pitcher on the Cardinals in, in 2023. I think Steven Matz could be that. And so there are still things out there where you go, yeah, the Cardinals could be even better than they looked this weekend, but they look pretty darn good this weekend, to my eyes anyway. And another aspect of this for the Cardinals, like we're getting into the weeds right now on like the fifth or sixth most important thing for this roster Normally, you talk about, okay, what's the most important thing for the Cardinals this year? It's to be able to score runs consistently, not have those days where they they just disappear and go dormant. They did a good job on Saturday of, like, that was a day where they could have gone completely dormant, and it didn't happen. Okay, what's the next most? The starting pitching has to hold up, and then the, the back-end relievers need to. And you could go down the list. We're getting now to, like, number six or seven on the list. Let's talk about the middle relievers. And this is something that we've heard. I mean, even back to Mike Schilt days, it was talked about. Ollie certainly talked about it last year. You've got to have those, let me see, 13 guys in a bullpen. So eight guys, I should say a pitching staff, eight guys in a bullpen. you got to have those sixth, seventh, and eighth guys in your bullpen ready to go on a given day. And the reason for that is if you go to your prominent guys every single time because you don't trust anybody else, they are going to get burnt out and you're screwed come playoff time. You're, you're not going to make it come October. Okay, on Sunday, the Cardinals had a nice, juicy lead. They're up 9-3, to three, I think it was, at, at whatever point that it was. And they bring in Chris Stratton and Packy Naughton to finish the game. Right? Those are probably some of their relievers that are a little bit lower in the pecking order. You've got to have those guys, but they're all important to the roster. Chris Stratton goes an inning and two-thirds, gives up one run. The run that he gave up was like a double that was dinked down the left field line and just snuck inside the third baseline, so he was able to, uh, that batter was able to get to second base. And then a total blue pit into shallow right field, the run that uh, was allowed by Stratton. Not anything that was too substantial, too scary. He was able to hold down the fort, and then so was Packy Naughton coming in to get the final out of the seventh inning for Stratton and then covering the eighth, covering the ninth, Two and a third innings, one hit, two strikeouts, no walks for Packy Norton. That is four critical innings for the Cardinals bullpen to be able to come in and have those two guys do it on a day where you weren't going to have Verhagen, who pitched twice in the first two games. I know you got the off day on Friday, but he wasn't available. Uh, Ryan Helsley was obviously not available after going in inning and two-thirds on Saturday, the day before. Gio was still not available because they're trying to stay away from him due to the back. They're hoping to, to find him back, but like I said, Eventually, you're going to have to to either sink or swim on whether he is available. But he wasn't available on Sunday. Obviously, staying away from Jordan Hicks after he pitched in both games and did not do very well. And either of them, and particularly on Saturday, it wasn't good for him. So, like, you're going down the list. Plante had pitched the day before. Zach Thompson would have been available. And that, I mean, there, there might have been another guy who had an inning in him. 
but you pretty much didn't have a, a very big uh, lifeboat, not a lot of a safety vest there in case Chris Stratton or Packy Naughton didn't get the job done. And so for those two guys to cover those innings, especially in a case where the Cardinals, it's kind of weird. They've talked about this. They don't have a lot of off days coming up. They've got basically one, and they've got the long road trip uh, through, I believe, Milwaukee and then Colorado. So, like, they've got the Braves this week, and that's a one off day in about two weeks or so that we're talking about. It's kind of a rarity for this early in the season. Normally, they sort of allow guys and teams to ease into it. That's not really the case with the Cardinals' schedule here. So that is so critical to be able to get those innings. And I asked Dolly Marmel about that, and he just kind of gave a laugh before I could even finish the question, just knowing that, yeah, this was – like you couldn't have scripted or drawn it up any better. And th- like I said, this is in the weeds. This is sort of inside baseball and not the stuff that necessarily day-to-day your, your, your Cardinals fans are going to think of at the top of their mind. But it just makes perfect sense that – on the days where a Ryan Helsley or a Jordan Hicks or a Giovanni Gallegos blows a game, Cardinals fans are going to be all over that and say, oh, it's the pitcher's fault. Oh, it's the manager. Why did he bring him in? Like, you're going to have scrutiny. That is the nature of baseball in 2023. But what often kind of goes overlooked is, okay, what is the situation that created that guy to maybe be a little less rested or in a little bit more of a vulnerable position? Sometimes it's because they had to pitch more often than they needed to on days where maybe the Cardinals had a big lead and then suddenly you have to start warming up Ryan Helsley, even if you don't bring him into the game. If it's a 9-3 to game that turns into a 9-7 to game or a 9-6 to game with multiple runners on base, you start warming up your closer, you've kind of burned him for that day. That all counts on the ledger of an entire season. The Cardinals just could not afford to have those guys go on Sunday, and the fact that Stratton, who's kind of maybe your last line of defense from the right side, and Packy Naughton, who's going to be that from the left side, but also just be your general cover some innings when we need it, whether we're up or down. Like, he did his job on Sunday, as did Stratton. That was really kind of an underrated thing that the Cardinals' bullpen was able to do in this game. And I honestly think it sets them up pretty well for uh, the Atlanta Braves series. I know there are aspects of this that we could be talking about that we didn't mention. Let me know, at bshafer12 on Twitter, What are the things from this series that you say, hey, this needs a little bit more pub. We need to be talking a little bit more about this guy or that play or this decision, and we'll get into it in the week ahead for sure. Um, But I'm just kind of freewheeling this based off of the last two games, the the things that popped out to me that I felt like were most important we've been able to cover in this episode. You know, guys like uh, Dylan Carlson getting an opportunity I thought was good. He showed, by the way, on Sunday, he is still the Cardinals' best defensive option in center field. I know he's kind of in the doghouse, not even in the doghouse, but if you've got nine hitters that you love and Dylan might be your 10th, he was able to get on base with a knock on Sunday in in the opportunity that he got. But I I think it should not be ignored that he is your best defensive option in center field. There were a couple of plays that he made in Sunday's game where I thought, man, if Tyler O'Neill were in that spot, not that he's not a gold glover in left, but Dylan has such, his instincts are just better. He is elite all around defensively. And I I was enjoying the fact that even though Carlson, yeah, he's probably personally disappointed maybe in the role that he has to begin the season for the Cardinals. He's clearly not taking that into his performance at all, especially on the defensive end where he was able to come up with a couple of really nice underrated plays. It's not like they were web gems and and, and dandies that are going to show up on SportsCenter, but there was like a sinking liner that he had a perfect first step to be able to come in on the ball. And if he doesn't do that, it could be extra bases. It could be a very different outcome to the game. That was a little bit earlier on in the game, if I recall. 
And so just things like that that I feel like should be talked about, maybe doesn't always get the pub. That's something that I wanted to make sure to mention. Alec Burleson, I talked about how Ali Marmel really trusts him. Cardinals fans, I think, are going to grow to trust him as well. The dude can hit. And from the left side, it's not that he's like a power bat. He's going to run into some home runs. Like, I think if he got 450 at-bats, he would end up being a 15-home run guy. But is he ever going to be a 30-home run guy? Maybe not. But the power is going to be there. The contact is, I think, what's most important for Burleson. It's something that the Cardinals have been aware of. It's why he was in the lineup on, on Saturday in the first place against Gosman. It didn't end up working out. He didn't get a hit that day. But going right back to the well when Lars Newtbar is unavailable and not messing with the lineup. Like, he goes right into the Newtbar spot. We'll see what happens when the Cardinals eventually face a left-handed starter, if the platoon splits, if anything changes with the way the lineup works. Uh, but Ollie's showing some faith in Burleson, and that faith being rewarded is just a further explanation for how dangerous this team can be one through nine. I, there are no holes. Brendan Donovan said there are no breaks for the opposing pitcher when it comes to this lineup, and you get the line moving. They have a team mentality, Donovan said, where if the first guy gets the hit, that's great. The next guy might be moving him over, and the third one might be the guy to drive him in, and they all trust one another to do that, and they were hitting the piss out of the ball on Sunday. I believe there were 11 batted balls at 100 miles per hour or greater, and then there were several at 99.8, 99.2. Like they, they are hitting the ball with authority, and if you do that over the course of a long season, you are going to get rewarded for it more times than not. So those are just kind of some of the things that have come to my mind I'm sure there are other aspects that I should be bringing up or talking about that I've neglected. Let me know, at bshafer12 on Twitter. We're coming up on about 40 minutes for today's episode, so I am going to go ahead and call it here. But I, I, I'm going to revisit some aspects of this series as we move along throughout the week if there are things that I didn't quite touch on. like I feel like I've talked a lot about Nolan Gorman, but maybe not enough. The guy is 4 for 9, 4 walks in the opening series. The changes that he made are real and substantial. I feel like he is going to have a potentially very, very damaging season. The dude's hitting the ball hard, and he put the work in. That's what's so interesting about these guys. Brendan Donovan and Gorman, I think, are the two that stand out the most, obviously, of guys that had good seasons. I mean, Brendan Donovan had a really good rookie season. Gorman, the numbers were fine, 721 OPS, 14 home runs last year, but if you look at the way it went month to month, he was kind of completely phased out of the rotation for playing time by the end of the year. Part of that was probably Albert Pujols emerging and becoming a guy. Uh, he became a guy that you had to play against no matter what starter, right? It was going to be a righty starter, lefty starter. Earlier in the season, he was playing a lot against the lefties, which made sense. But by the end of it, he was playing against righties too, and that sort of boxed out Nolan Gorman from playing time. And we mentioned Donovan. He was getting a lot more work at second base as well, which was the position that Gorman would play. And so he just didn't get chances. But the Cardinals said, hey, go into the offseason, work on becoming a guy that's not so uh, vulnerable to the pitch strike high in the zone in terms of high heaters, fastballs. He worked on that, and he said he's put himself into a better position to hit, to where he is ready earlier in his stance to recognize pitches, to be able to know when it's a ball and a strike earlier on, know when you swing, know when you don't, so that he's getting the most out of the swings that he does make and the ones that he doesn't, he's maybe going to get on base because they're not throwing him hittable pitches. Gorman, with plate discipline, becomes a very dangerous hitter. And keep this in mind. I know all the hype was Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn and all these things this spring. Nolan Gorman had a 9-11 OPS in Jupiter down in the, the Grapefruit League. And he was a guy that before the last year, I mean, he was the Jordan Walker of 2022, right? He was that top prospect that everybody wanted a chance to see. 
and all he did was come up when he did get his chance and hit 14 home runs in the big leagues for the season. I think he had, I don't know, 28, 30, if you count what he did in Memphis. It might have been even more than that. I think he was closer to 18 in Memphis. And so this is a guy that hit 30 home runs on a full season last year and sort of was a forgotten man, which it doesn't really make sense how that's possible. Uh, I guess it would take uh, one of the all-time greats coming in and, and chasing 700 home runs at the same position that Gorman would have otherwise occupied in the lineup. Maybe that's what did it. But Nolan Gorman, I'm telling you, man, he's got a sense of confidence about him, and I think he's going to have a year. And it might be like, wow, Brendan Schaefer sounds like this giant Cardinals homer the way that he's approaching, saying all these guys are going to have big years. I'm just looking at the first series, and I'm looking at some of the data from spring training, and I'm just saying, like, who are you down on right now in this Cardinals lineup? Like, you might have guys that you say, ah, a little worried about that guy. But on the whole, you're looking at the data of what these guys are doing and what they maybe have a chance to do. It's hard not to see it the way that Ali Marmel sees it, right? And I think he's very confident in what this group can do offensively. So I'm having a good time watching this team, talking about this team. Let me know what you guys think. Hit me up at bshafer12 on Twitter, facebook.com slash bshafer12. Give me a follow on Facebook as well, trying to get my Facebook page going. Like, this is my profession. This is what I'm trying to do for a career. You guys, by listening and by reading me, are allowing that to happen. And if you like my stuff, that's what it's all about. You're able to uh, to propel me forward in this path. It's really been a lot of fun. I think it's going to be a fun summer in St. Louis. So make sure you're following me everywhere that you possibly can. Uh, and check out the Patreon if you dig it. I appreciate you guys so much. I'm going to wrap things up here for this edition of B-Shape Daily. But we'll be back on Monday night, Tuesday. We're going to be going. I mean, it, it's B-Shape Daily for a reason. I'm going to try to give you guys as much content as I possibly can. Maybe do a little bit of live videos as well on YouTube, probably maybe some Twitter. We'll see. But if you guys are digging it, I appreciate it. Stick around. It's going to be a lot of fun this year. Thanks, y'all. We'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.